The Big Sip. <laughs> hey, y'all, this is your host, Gabriela, of The Big Sip. Today, super excited because I've got an incredible powerhouse Latina here with me who is seriously changing the game when it comes to uh, what we drink, how we drink, the spirits industry, a large, large market, as you all know, as well as just changing the environment through her spirits. Not the only thing that she's pioneered. Um, she has built a gigantic portfolio behind her that has pretty much launched her to where she is now. And so it is my absolute pleasure to be speaking with Amanda Victoria of Sippany Spritz Co. Thank you so much. Very good morning to you. I'm so excited to speak with you. Um, as I was telling you, you know, a lot of Sippany Spritz Co. information and just details around your product has been buzzing around in the media, no pun intended there. But it's just been so great to see just such a mindful and thoughtful, innovative product when it comes to alcohol. I think, you know, it's a very saturated market at the end of the day, whether we're talking about alcohol beverage in general, right? And you're really pushing the boundaries. And that's something that I really loved and appreciated when I originally started seeing like all this great news around Sippany. Can you talk to me a little bit about where that inspiration came from and what it's kind of been like to, to launch your baby? Yes, absolutely. So launching my baby, so to speak, uh, Sippany Spritz Co., we came together as a company in 2019. Conveniently at the time, I was about six months pregnant when we decided, my partner in business and in life, Joey Mintz, we decided to go into business together. Um, at that point, I had been about 15 years into the world of wine and spirits. Uh -huh. um, I started my career in 2005 working at a Michelin star restaurant as a, I guess, a, a teenager, truthfully, um, in my late teens as a hostess. And mm -hmm. I started to learn things about wine very early on and became enamored with the way um, spirits and wine bring our culture together through connection uh, with, with each other. That's really where a lot of my passion started. Um, so cut to 2019, and we have launched our baby, Sipony. Um, at such a very interesting time in history, uh, just three or so months before the pandemic oh. and when I was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was it hard to launch a product and not be able to taste it? Or if you were tasting, no judgments here. <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't tasting. Um, so that's on the record. I wasn't tasting, but I was doing a lot of smelling. As you know, as a, a wine professional mm -hmm. yourself, it's all about aroma and mm -hmm. the smell that you get from glass. And, and that moment, my sense of smell was heightened, um, as it is for so many pregnant women. So because I have a trained palate, and because I had been working in an industry for so long, I was able to really discern the nuances of putting together our formulation, mostly through smell and aroma, and using, of course, Joey as the guinea pig <laughs> to taste. <laughs> He's like, I will gladly right. be the taste tester. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Him and my sister and brother-in-law were all um, the early taste testers of our formulation. I love this so much. And so <laughs> the environmental part of that, which is super interesting, one of the things that I love about even just the Sipanese webpage is you, you are all really mindful about transparency. And I think in a day and age where at least I can only speak for myself, but I like to assume that the majority of millennials and the younger generation were really focused on like values, right? Like a company, how transparent are they about a number of things, financials, like where they get their products, who they're sourcing from, what's their impact on the environment. And you really seem to approach Sipany from a very transparent perspective. Is that something that's like 
naturally ingrained in like who you are? Was there something that initially when you entered the industry, you were put off by that you decided when you were launching this, you were like, I'm not going to be X amount of way. Like where do these values and ideals come in and, and how is that influenced in your product? And, and, you know, you could share the, the secret sauce of recipes of the four very transparent ingredients that are in Zippany. Yeah. I love the way you put all of that together um, in a question because Yes, it is absolutely very ingrained in me to look around at the planet that we live in and understand that the environment is in a crisis. And at the time of launching Sipony, I felt it was extremely irresponsible to launch a company, no matter what sector of industry or industry you were in, um, without having the environment at the forefront of business. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, the planet is our home and it is in crisis. There's no easy way to put that. Um, just this week and, um, you know, in California how it is and it's, it's really tough. So wildfires, um, I don't think I've ever seen one. <laughs> yeah. Wildfires. I don't know them. No, I, I lived in San Francisco for almost five years. And the last couple of weeks I was living there were some of the most smoky weeks. Mm. Um, it was that like pink smoke in San Francisco. And I was so sad that I was leaving such a memorable experience with that in my nose, literally um, wearing face masks, all that very pre-pandemic times. But yes, to go back to your point, it's, it is very much ingrained in me personally, um, because I think it should be ingrained in all of us personally. (laughs) And uh, it was just irresponsible to, to not consider the supply chain as well as where we can give back with impact um, Sipony is the first B Corp certified cocktail company. We sit with um, a handful or really 5,000 companies around the world, which really is just a small handful if yeah. you think about it. It's amazing. But, yeah, like Tom's and Patagonia that are all declaring a part of resources back to the environment through business uh, and very actionable, measurable, third-party endorsed um, scenarios with, with uh, B Corp. I love them. And I take it that's not an easy thing to do as you're launching. Launching a company in itself is not an easy thing to do. And then to consciously make the decision that you want to establish yourself as a B certified corporation. Um, what was that process like? Yeah. Um, early on, I, I said that we have to do this. I really like twisted my partner's arm on making sure that this was like a top priority. Of course, it doesn't at all. The auditing process and the process of B Corp is extremely extensive. And for us, it was about two years. There were delays wow. within the pandemic that that um, kept the paperwork from being revised for a little bit here and there, rightfully so. Of course, the, the situation in the world unfolding as it did, but it did take us two years and it is something we're really proud of. And yes, it was identified really early on that we want to build our company within these parameters. And um, yes, it's hard for a small company to do that. But we did, of course, have the agility of being small to respond to, hey, this is how we want to build from the get, which is Um, why a lot of the larger companies are unable to really get that certification because they've built themselves in a way um, where they are not considering the environment Mm -hmm. um, lip service or or what it is, but um, their supply chain unfortunately doesn't reflect that lip service a lot of the time. And of course, where the dollars go at the end of the year, we always want to see give back. And for us, that's 2% of our annual revenue per year goes to nonprofit environmentalists around the country. 
That's literally incredible. And, you know, you said it best early on. Everybody should have this ingrained in them, right? Like we are all inhabiting this world. We need to be taking care of it. We <laughs> see drastic things happening. I mean, I know, was it last year or the year before? There's too many things happening now to really remember when it happened. But like Texas being at like negative two degrees and everything like that was mind blowing to me. Not that so many other things aren't mind blowing to me, but I don't think I could have ever pictured one of the hottest states in the United States to be at the point where pipes were freezing. People didn't have access to water. Like that was, that was just insane to me. So the fact that you were keeping the environment in mind and uh, again, big kudos to you for, for getting B, B Corp certified. That's really, really incredible. And, you know, to be alongside giant, really well-known names like Tom's and like Patagonia Mm -hmm. must feel so great. I don't know too many spirits companies, let alone, I think you believe you said you were the only one, right? The only cocktail company that has it. Um, Other spirits companies that I'm, I'm happy to share our Maker's Mark and um, one of my favorites, Brooklotti, um, out of Scotland is a beautiful distillery that uh, also has the B Corp certification, which is outstanding. And aren't all three of those whiskey brands or uh, both of those? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the and whiskey brands out here are changing the game. <laughs> yeah. Whiskey and agriculture and the environment are so intricately connected. And I think it is uh, really important to bring that story back, um, that spirits and wine. Wine does a great job at showing that wine is an an agricultural product, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Spirit marketing in general has veered so far away that it's really refreshing, uh, to your point, to see whiskey companies bringing that um, back to the soil, so to speak. The narrative, right. absolutely. I think narratives are really important. It's it's why I started this podcast, you know, because you want to be able to go to the heart of the conversation. And if we can think about whiskey or wine, uh, which, you know, I can relate to as taking it back to like yeah. the home place, like we're talking about land, we're talking about dirt, we're talking about being in the nitty gritty, you know, as, as amazing as it can be to have this very fancy cocktail or to have like a very... Very beautiful wine. It gets sometimes diluted in in the conversation about how people want to portray certain products when at the end of the day, let's acknowledge that that environment plays a big role in us even be able to enjoy these lovely amenities. Um, And if we're not taking care of that environment, then then we're not going to have these luxuries, you know? Of course. Let's redefine luxury, as we, I like to say, um, bringing it back. The 90s had to happen, right? We all had to have (laughs) that luxury moment that um, buying into the narrative, so to speak, of being fancy for drinking X, Y, and Z or for wearing this watch or or whatnot. But now I think luxury is moving into a whole new uh, era, I hope. And at least that's what I'm trying to portray with Tiffany is that we're redefining luxury by talking about the who, what, where, why, um, what's Mm -hmm. in the cocktail, um, who makes it, really bringing it back to um, integrity with authenticity to production, agriculture, being able to talk about the bees and the wildflower honey that we use and the whiskey, of course, et cetera. I love that. I love that so much. And I think it's really important. And you just started talking about the honeybees and, and that natural honey that you actually use. So I believe Sipony is just four ingredients, which is where the big part of transparency comes in with the product. I love the yeah. can, like even the aesthetics of it. I'm just like, this is gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> How did the idea of using honey as a sweetener come into play? I'm assuming that's where. Yeah, absolutely. So of course, um, I think of Sipony about what we're doing inside of the can and also what we're doing outside of the can and honey goes both inside and outside with the story of the bees as well as our ingredients. But Mm -hmm. 
why um, we chose honey. And it's just a touch of honey. It's only five, less than five grams of sugar per can coming from this beautiful, natural wildflower honey that is very limitedly processed. So we're avoiding processed sugars and ingredients wherever possible. For me, um, I'm also an athlete. I'm in, I define myself as an athletic person and fitness and wellness is very much a part of my the reason why I've been able to work in wine and spirits for as long as mm-hmm. I have been. I started to notice that when I was avoiding more of the white, simple processed sugars, no offense to it, but if I avoided it more, um, I would feel a lot better the next day. So I took a lot of these classic cocktail recipes and substituted them, tried all of the different various sweeteners from the agave, et cetera, of the world, and really came back to honey as Mm. this beautiful, natural, antioxidant, superfood, delicious byproduct of these amazing bees that without them, um, the world would really fall apart. And they are at the forefront of what needs to be identified into saving the planet now. I think that if the bees are not doing well, it's the biggest sign that we're not doing well. 100%. So honey was a, a natural addition to that whole story of my personal substitution of avoiding processed sugar, but also the honey bees. I love that. <laughs> Not exactly a fan of bees when they're physically around, I will say, but obviously, no, to your point, you know, that's fact proven. <laughs> Honeybees are that indicator of how we're thriving as a society, how our environment is doing. So it is important. And yeah. I love and appreciate that you, again, everything about Sipony feels so thoughtful and intentional to me. And I think that's one of the reasons why I immediately was like, blown away at just the intentionality behind someone not just wanting to launch a product. I mean, again, this is a very saturated market, right? If we talk about the spirits industry in general, we're looking at an industry that's about $126 billion. And so to bring in another product, it's like, how do you position yourself differently? And I read up your on your NASDAQ article that you wrote, your opinion piece, and I it was a brilliant piece, by the way. So much of what you were saying, I, I remember sitting on my laptop and I was like, yes, that part and that part. Because you <laughs> talked about, you know, as you welcome new products, as companies are thinking about, you know, solutions and, and what consumers need, innovation, in order for you to achieve that growth, you need to really identify those like nuances in innovation. And even though you can have a saturated market, it's like, where do you fit in within that to try to identify how to better support what that consumer is looking for. And and it's constantly changing. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I feel like this generation, millennials, the younger generation are really focused on the values and ethics of a company, the power in our purchase, right? Where are my dollars going? I very much think about that when I'm Christmas shopping, when I'm just like regular gift shopping, when I'm grocery shopping, anything. Can you talk to me a little bit about what your approach has looked like Obviously, we know transparency within the ingredients and and how you positioned yourself as a B Corp company. But can you talk about other approaches that you have as you think about innovation, as you think about how to continue bringing these spirits and your beverage into into the general market? Yeah, great, great points um, on saturation specifically within the market um, of spirits. Uh, If you just look at whiskey, for instance, the saturation of the world of whiskey, of course, if you look at RTDs and canned options, huge saturation, twofold, you could look at that as opportunity or what is the the second fold of that is the nuance that's going to make you stand apart in all of that. Um, For us, uh, it was absolutely timing and passion are big variables in where and why we launched. At the point of launch in 2019, we were coming out of that summer that was coined Hot Girl Summer. I'm I'm like on tour with this Hot Girl Summer joke right now. Um, I say it a lot, but it's so 
2019, it's there was true. this summer, and that was, that was what we were calling it. I, again, was six months pregnant, so I was super frustrated that I was not participating at all in that summer <laughs> moment. <laughs> Everyone thought, though, 2020 and, was going to be the year. They're like, hot girl summer is coming in for 2020. Uh, we know how that turned out. Yeah. Yeah, we know how that ended. I know we we went out on a high note as uh, women, I guess, in that summer of 2019, really <laughs> reclaiming all of that. So, um, but what came out of that summer of 2019 were um, a lot of uh, consumers were getting really used to drinking something in a very slim can, and they had no idea what was in the can, and they thought it was a vodka soda at best, and that couldn't have been further from the truth. They were drinking mostly a byproduct of beer and malt and kind of the dregs of all of that, a very stripped-down beer that was then added back with flavor that was coming out of um, synthetic flavors that were very artificial. And um, of course, this product and uh, everyone drinking it in the slim can, they were being also told that the narrative of the can was low calorie. So you have this thing that's coming out and you think you're drinking one thing and it's not really that. And you think you're drinking something even that's going to like contribute to your overall wellness in mm -hmm. some way. And it couldn't be further from the truth. So mm -hmm. I identified an opportunity in all of this misconception to say, okay, I, I love that people are adopting this slim can in hand, right? They're, they're drinking this as a quick and convenient way to drink. How can we do better? How can we make something better inside of the can? So all of that frustration, that hot girl summer moment, my pregnancy, and then the misconception of what people were actually drinking. They had no idea what they were really drinking. Um, I saw it as an opportunity. And I think that any good moment when the timing is right, um, frustration can really equate to passion and then opportunity utilizing that time to make something good out of a situation that was really quite pissing me off, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, like you said, sometimes those things that frustrate us that we know could be done so much better, we take those matters into our own hand. And that's exactly what you did. Can't imagine it was yeah. easy. Can't imagine that COVID hmm. made it any easier. And then being a new mom, I mean, that's a whole other ball game in and of its own. The learning curve that's associated yeah. with that. A beautiful learning curve, but a learning curve nonetheless. How did you manage to navigate just the different areas of life that you were experiencing and, and developing to that effect while also trying to launch a business? Yeah, I rode the wave of creativity. Um, for those listening who are parents, I think that especially when you first become a parent, you're in this incubation period um, as new parents or impending new parents, and you're um, forced to take a look at your current life and then rebuild what your future life will look like. And during that teardown and recreation is... Um, I think a really ripe time to ride that wave of creation and creativity that all of us are connected to fundamentally. I think all of us as humans want to create and make things and leave a mark and leave um, a legacy, if you will. And I took a hard look at my career at that point, up until that point, And I said, well, if the plane goes down, am I going to be remembered as a vodka salesperson? And that's not a bad thing. That is not a bad thing. But I wanted to give some more of uh, a legacy to a career and an industry that I had already dedicated um, 15 years in mm -hmm. to. And it was something where I said, okay, it's now or never. Um, I'd love to do this for, for legacy for my family going forward and create something that is a household name. But doing so as a new mother, 
very difficult. I remember um, our first production run. My daughter was not even three months old. We had to put her on a plane. Uh, legally, you have to be have a three-month-old to fly, and she was just about to turn three months. We had to really like force our way into that situation just to get to our production facility. And um, of course, on the way back from that, um, that's when the pandemic was announced. And that's when the face masks like unfolded for the first time in that late March in New York. And um, I was breastfeeding and talking to the New York Times on the other line about our amazing new story of Tiffany coming out and everything fell apart overnight. Um, and uh, suddenly the story of Tiffany was not as important. So I put my head down and was forced to build um, in the in the shadows of the pandemic and in the shadows of postpartum and also of uh, finishing up breastfeeding, which was very challenging for me personally. Um, yeah. But we did it. Uh, we just stuck to the path and um, so much of uh, when when things get tough, so much of that uh, for me is just putting my head down and, and getting the work done and bringing it back into my physical body as much as I can. And again, wellness and athleticism and fitness and health and all those things for me are a priority, but um, they really became this ultimate act of survival <laughs> during uh, postpartum and uh, pandemic pregnancy, all of that, the real PPP. As I <laughs> no, I cannot imagine. That is no easy fee at all. And I hope that you feel proud to be where you are in this present moment and look at, again, just those challenges and just navigating such a dynamic period across so many different facets of your life that you were able to not only just put your head down and like do the work still, but as you put your head down and might have felt overwhelmed at periods, I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, but I can only imagine not deciding to give up. And as you mentioned, you know, just pushing through that struggle. Is that something that like has been with you growing up as a little girl is where do where do you credit that I guess inspiration and drive to to keep going and going even in the face of all of that adversity um great great point again I love all of your questions so thank you so much for these thoughtful questions they're so personal and I really appreciate it so refreshing truly um I wouldn't say it was necessarily something that started as a child. Uh, as a child, what did start was a lot of the entrepreneurial traits very early on. Mm. Um, I had so many jobs between the ages of like 12 or almost 13 um, and 17. So many odd end jobs from being a piano teacher to working in a bagel shop to restringing guitars and all these things that I was doing. So I had a, a little savings account by the time I, I was that. 18 years old and left to New York City, back to New York City. I was born in the city and I returned um, just before I turned 18. Um, so I always had this like entrepreneurial passion and I've got to do things my way and um, it has to be done. And yeah, that drive was always there. I was always asking a lot of questions like, mm -hmm. why? Why does it have to be this way? Why does it have to be this way? Why can't it be this way? Why can't it be this way? Um, but overall, of course, the pandemic tested that so much and all of the, the, the hardship of the last um, several years, this weird timeline that we all find ourselves in right now, mm -hmm. coming out of that a little bit. Um, yeah, it, I think that entrepreneurship for me um, has very much been about not quitting and not quitting and not quitting and thinking of that very often, um, quitting not being an option, um, especially if you're you're as I am trying to build a legacy. And I love that. And you should be so proud of that. For you in your mind, what does that legacy look like? 
Uh, um, so Not it a looks loaded like, question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, that's okay. It looks like for me, um, legacy looks like my daughter being able to, um, A, have representation of seeing um, her mother in a position of business leadership, which is something that I think uh, she's my biggest inspiration. I think motherhood actually overall and becoming a mother, a girl mom specifically has been such an inspiration to getting the job done at the end of the day. Um, ultimately, I would love for my daughter Mila to be able to uh, share this story in the future. I think that she's going to have a lot of story to share being a pandemic baby and coming into <laughs> born into a family business and and all of that. And I think it's important um, uh, overall, generationally for everyone um, to see more women and women of color and Latinas and um, and marginalized groups in positions of uh, leadership and equity and all these great things. Uh, I think representation is such a big inspiration for me. And my daughter is is the anchor of all that. I Legacy. absolutely love that that is where your heart is focused and, and what drives a lot of you. Um, that is something that I can very personally r relate to a lot. Being a Latina woman, being a person of color and knowing a lot of the times the challenges and barriers that can exist with us trying to exist not only in this world, but in a, a male dominated industry, you know, very yeah. aggressive industry that can oftentimes the, the beverage, wine and spirits world can be a very toxic industry as well. And that's across many, many things, right? Not also the fact that you're intoxicating yourself with actual alcohol. Oh, yeah. Um, you're absolutely right about that. Um, the industry can be uh, a toxic place. I kind of have always kept in mind that as much as I love wine and spirits and a, a, the part I love so much is the agriculture and the making of the product and the production and all of the, the love of so many families that are in distilleries and um, wineries and terroir and all these great things that we love about um, what we do, the industry that we're in, as well as the connection culturally that brings us all together mm -hmm. into this moment that's where you can have a toast and share a toast and all of that. But to the, the dark side of that, there are absolutely like I've always felt like just some demons around like there mm -hmm. is like some negative energy that, that exists, unfortunately, for better or worse, a toxicity in the workplace. Um, and I've seen it change uh, over the last couple of decades. And I've seen, again, women come into more positions of power, which is a big, big ultimate change that was needed um, to really shake up the status quo and bring in these refreshing new leadership ideas and positions. And I want to see more of it. I want to create more of it. I always said this industry that I've, I've spent time in, I need to leave it in a better place than I found it in. Um, and I found it in a weird place. <laughs> a weird place. <laughs> but you found it nonetheless, and you're trying to do your best to create an impact. And I think that's all we can do at the end of the day, right? Take whatever resources we have, whatever knowledge we have, and just try to make the world a better place. It's it's very heavily ingrained in yeah. just who I am as a person. So I appreciate meeting another fellow Latina, badass Latina. When we take a look at, you know, executives in positions of power across the board in the United States, only 5% of those people are of Latinx identification. And of that, only 1% wow. are Latinas. So 
So I think that you, again, if you're talking about inspiring your daughter and also leaving a legacy behind, like you're already doing it, um, knowing that we're, we're at this little tiny fraction in the, yeah. the grand scheme right. of things, um, the 1% of the 99%. And, right. and so we, we should are. feel great. Yeah, no, but we should feel great yeah. when we take over these spaces and when we try to make a difference. And I know before Sipany, you had really tried to support a lot of these causes and communities of color through uh, the LA Spirits Awards, which you had mentioned to me a little bit before we we actually got started on air that you actually spearheaded. And um, I believe you also had a Betty Deef hour. Can you talk to me a little bit about those yeah. uh, and how they came about? Yeah. So I spent um, some years working with the bigger companies, um, so many of the bigger corporations uh, in the suppliers of the world. So I worked for Bacardi and Moet Hennessy of, of LVMH and William Grant and Sons. And I got to work on these beautiful brands like uh, Lille, the French aperitif from Bordeaux. And mm-hmm. I worked on St. Germain when Bacardi acquired it to keep the brand um, as darling and intact as it was intended to be. Um, and all these exciting French brands, mostly, um, and liqueurs and all that. And then um, I was very inspired by aperitif and aperitivo lifestyle and the European way of drinking something that's light, refreshing um, earlier in the day and mm-hmm. um, at a slower pace overall. And that was a part of my big inspiration, of course, for moving to the West Coast and rediscovering that that sunset life that mm-hmm. I used to really embrace. Um, but long story short, I then just was so inspired by all of that work that I created uh, my first consultation company outside of corporate. And that company was called and still is uh, a company today, Aperitif Hour. So that was in 2018, my very first um, entrepreneurial pursuit as a, uh, a consultant um, to a lot of those companies and um, still doing the same thing that I was always doing just externally and for more. Um, which was exciting. And then, yeah, I was a part of the, I was a founding director at the Los Angeles Spirit Awards. Um, And I'm no longer affiliated with them, but I do like the idea of what we founded that uh, company on. And that was to, and I will do more work in this judging space um, like this eventually in the future, but it was founded on making sure that palettes were diverse and not everybody grew up on the same uh, diet and lifestyle and bringing that into the judging space was extremely important and seeing diversity across judging um, spirit shows. So I've been a judge at uh, a lot of different shows at this point. And I think the point is to bring that diversity. Um, I think it's uh, as a responsibility to the consumer because understanding the consumer is also diverse. Um, it's important to have a diverse group of judges. 100%. And the, the consumer it looks like many, many different things, many different people, many yeah. different cultures. And I think that's the conversation that's been left out for so long. It's definitely a conversation that I've appreciated. We've had more of recently in wine. It's taken a, a lot of people and a lot of people of color to specifically keep pushing that forward. But, you know, we experience the same things when it comes to wine. There's like a certain language that has been, uh, I had a friend actually who lives in New York, the director of over at Pinch uh, Chinese, and they you might you might know them or have ever walked in there, Miguel de Leon, and he talks about us nice. decolonizing um, wine and how we talk about wine because often people will use a lot of language that is very Eurocentric focused, and when we think mm-hmm. about fruits or vegetables or smells that 
can be cultural and international, right? It's not all from Europe, seen as wrong or that's not correct or it's exotic. And it's like exotic to who was a question that I heard him pose one time. Because to the person who lives there and who that's cultural, you know, they identify with that in their culture, certain foods that they eat every day, certain smells that they have, spices they have access to. That's not something that's exotic. That's just something that's a part of their upbringing. And so learning to just make the language more inclusive will help us to continue fighting against those um, inequalities that exist for for people of color in multiple spaces, not just the the beverage industry. So um, really amazing that you spearheaded and founded the the LA Spirits Awards there to to tackle those same issues in the spirits world. Yeah, I can only hope that they continue to go on authentically with that approach. Um, And again, anything that I am a part of in the judging space, I'm always looking at that exact identification of diversity is absolutely needed for responsibility for the consumer and of course the industry at large. And the authenticity piece is the key piece because people, especially people of color, can tell when it's not authentic and then nobody wants to get behind that. So (laughs) yeah, keep your eyes open out there. Um, Nobody wants very well put. No one wants to get behind something that is um, just, uh, you know, lip service. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, you talked a bit about how you were able to work through so many of these different incredible spirits brands. And that eventually led you to obviously different avenues, Aperitif Hour, the LA Spirits Award, and now Sippany. When I think about anybody who is young, right, and maybe now they're looking at life career, whether they want to be an entrepreneur, maybe they're already involved in the beverage industry, and they just don't know how to keep navigating through the nuances of career and growth and advancement. What were you said you like to ask a lot of questions and I'm the same way. You don't you don't get the answers to questions you're not willing to ask. What are maybe some of the pieces of advice or those little nuggets that you can think back on that really helped and supported you so that you had that upward mobility so that you could continue to, you know, develop your career and discover new heights that you were able to achieve? Yeah, um very very big question that we could have a whole conversation about <laughs> just Career growth is extremely important, right? Um, especially as a, a young woman growing up in an industry where not a lot of people look like myself at the time, for sure. Uh, we're still not there yet. But yeah, for me, being able to pivot, I guess, to overuse that word, from um, company to company, and every time I took an opportunity or every time I sometimes I created an opportunity, a position that didn't even exist in that company prior um, I always looked at it as how can I well round my resume as as best as I can. I'll give you an example. I was specializing in French aperitifs for a while. And when I left that uh, abruptly, somewhat abruptly, I made a conscious decision. I said, well, if I leave this, this beloved niche that I've created um, for working in aperitif and aperitivo culture and all of the jus de vivre of like loving life and sunset culture. And I, it was such a fantastic way to spend this tiny little corner of time in, in spirits. Um, I left and I went on to work for uh, Belvedere Vodka in a much higher level position. And that was something where I said, wow, um, I'm leaving all these darling little brands that I love behind that I've helped grow and, and really gain significant market share in the U.S. market specifically and I'm going on to work for vodka. This is 
this is a big change. This is a big move. And I said to myself, I want to be able to round out my resume and round out the way that I speak to consumers and offer education. And I think that it was a real challenge. I moved into the vodka category when the category was flat. It wasn't when vodka was popping off and the significant growth that we saw in the late 90s and the early 2000s. It was beyond that. And it was bringing the conversation back again to the soil and the agricultural elements of, of vodka. And I think Belvedere did, did a great job at that back when I was working on it. And during all of the blind tastings I did, Belvedere would win over and over again. So it was for me, I was always guided by opportunity to grow and round out a resume um, and, and really like make conscious moves. Every, every step of my career, I made very consciously and thought about what I would be learning from that experience, understanding you're not going to do it forever. Um, also keeping in mind a lesson I learned very early on, sadly, but I put my heart and soul into my very early projects, specifically Lillet. Um, I loved Lillet. I couldn't walk into a bar anywhere in the country without someone calling me Lady Lillet. That was my, my <laughs> thing for so long. And it got to the point where people were saying, well, do you, do you own this business? Is this like, like a part of your equity in in this business. And I was like, what is equity? I was such a young and naive (laughs) woman at the time. But no, I didn't own the company. Obviously, I didn't have a stake in this brand coming from the early 1900s of France. But (laughs) (laughs) keeping that in mind, I always acted like I did because I was so enamored and in love with these brands that I worked on. But moving to my own company and my own brand was a much natural fit for me because I needed a place to be able to pour that passion in. So keeping that in mind as you move along that. um, So if you don't have an equity stake, first of all, ask for one. (laughs) Um, First of all. (laughs) Ask for an equity stake in your negotiation processes out there. I'd love to see more of that. And uh, yeah, keep that in mind uh, as you're distributing your passion throughout your projects as you as you go on. I love that. I, I always love to call that heart work. It's hard work, but it's also yeah, heart, heart work. work. I love that. Oh, heart work. That is beautiful. I've, I've learned a few different great terms on this already. Heart work and exotic to who. <laughs> <laughs> you can credit Miguel de Leon yeah. for that last one. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. Well, I love this. I don't want this, our time to end, but I, I know you are incredibly, incredibly boss lady of running multiple things at the Thank same time. Um, So I want to be mindful of your time. Last thing before you and I disconnect, um, where can people support? Where can people get Sippany? How do they stay connected? We'd love for everyone to know exactly how to get their hands on some Sippany. Yes. Thank you so much. Please stay connected to us online. We are at Sippany Spritz Co. Co at everything on social media. Um, we're very active across the, the whole, all of those social media channels under Sippany Spritz Co. And you can keep in touch with me, Amanda Victoria OG on Instagram and all over LinkedIn. And you can buy Sippany delivering nearly nationwide at shopsippany.com or just go to sippany.com, S-I-P-O-N-E-Y.com. Thank you so much. I love it. Thank you, Amanda. I really appreciate you for everything today. And I hope you have an incredible weekend ahead. Thank you so much, Gabriella. Thank you. Take Take care.
big sip.